Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week we're sponsored by Harbro, manufacturers and suppliers of quality livestock nutrition. My guest this week is a chap I've known for a long time, but I've not seen lately as he's been in Australia for 30 years, Harvey Wayman Jones, now living in Dolby, Queensland. He's speaking to us from the Sunshine Coast. Welcome, Harvey. You're welcome, Andy. I'm here with my mother, Jane. That's brilliant to uh, to hear Jane's voice after all these times. Hello, Jane. How have you been? How's retirement in uh, on the Sunshine Coast there? And more importantly, how's the wine? Well, I'm on a gin and tonic at the moment. Excellent. I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> now, did you did you remember Bob Paul? I knew Bob very, very well. And um, my father and mother used to go drinking with you and John when you were down in Smithfield. So uh, that's been a yes. as well. Oh, it's a long time, you see, isn't it? It is. It is a long time. You're right. And 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 um, Harvey, your father and, and your mother, Jane, there, they bred, um, of course, Hereford cattle at Bodenham Court. Uh, in Herefordshire for many years, and the uh, herd, I think, was established by by your grandfather. Yes, granddad established the herd, um, uh, would have been back in the 1920s, I think, and um, he, he went and bought cattle from Hampton Court and various other places, and um, and that's that's uh, primarily one of the reasons how we got the tenancy at Bodham Court through mm-hmm. the um, purchasing from Hampton Court. We, we, we were tenants to Lord Hereford at that time. Back, that was back um, early 30s I when they moved there. Uh, um, Hampton Court and having their, their dispersal sale just roughly when I got into to showing cattle. And I, and I very much remember your father from uh, from my early days in cattle. And uh, he was always willing to offer advice. A real gentleman he was. And uh, um, I'm very grateful to those to the, the early. My early days were spent in the Hereford breed. Yes, that, that's right. And um, and um, because. Grander became president of the uh, Herd Society um, in the mid-50s, I think it was. Um, and, uh, of course, they were... Uh, Dad sort of took over farming by himself in the um, in the 70s when Grandad retired. And uh, then in the 70s and 80s and 90s, we had the Bodham Herd, and the, of course, and um, we boys, Charles and I, had the Bun Hill Herd. Um, and... Um, Dad went on and, and uh, then um, uh, bred cattle for uh, Chapman and Frierson. You might have remember, remember them. I do know and, you say that. And, yeah. and then, then of course, for Clive Richards after that. So that that, that was the sort of pole, the pole side, whereas we were warned. Uh, and, of course, John and Big Fred Harrington and Trevor Parker were sort of three guys together that were largest life characters, and they were on the all on the council of the Birmingham Fatstock Show when I joined, and uh, they ruled yes. the roost there, and I think they ruled the roost in the breed as well for quite a while. Yes, they did, and because uh, they set up the uh, the Late Risers Club. I don't know whether you know much about that, but that's still going. They were the founding uh, founding members of the Late Risers. How is it? That's still <laughs> going, and the second generations now of all those people who are what's called Late Risers, and that was founded with the Hereford breed. <clears throat> It sounds like a drinking club to me, to be honest, Harvey. But uh, I'm still a member of the Hereford Stockman's Club, and I think that was a drinking club as well, from what I can remember. This. Yes, yes, that's right. They were great days. And Mum, you'd remember, huh? you'd remember helping out with the Hereford Stockman's Club um, with the flower arrangements and that sort of thing. Yes, in, in oh the, yes, I did that. In, in, the, in, in, in the, the the Royal Show, yeah. the bars, and yeah. And Mum's got a funny story about. Um, were you there, Andy, when? Um, 
they they put the partition up between the stockman's <laughs> bar and the and the members bar were you there then yes that at the royal in in the in the building there and uh, there was a fair bit of uh, um animosity i suppose between uh, some people and um, anyway mum was one of the ringleaders and um, and uh, she, she she jumped up on the top of the wall <laughs> the barrier in between the, t yeah. the two were, were you there <laughs> i don't remember that to be fair but uh, yeah. uh, i do remember you getting up to you you and my, you and my mother and father getting up to some uh, some fun tricks i think uh, back in those days Bob, Bob legged you up, table. and Richard Miller was there to catch you if you fell over. Yes, probably, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you remember? I, I don't remember now, sorry. <laughs> a lot of fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> and and you, you mentioned there Bob Powell, of course, another one, the largest life character known as Prowler to many of us, and uh, yes. started, he started his cattle days, of course, at Bodenham Court, didn't he, before he went to... No, uh, no, 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 he... Um, Dad... Dad also managed um, uh, Leighton Court Herefords for Jim Lewis. Uh -huh. um, Dad employed Bob as a as a stockman there. Bob had come out of the police force. That's right. And uh, having been to Walford Agricultural College prior to that, so he'd had some cattle experience, or you know, livestock experience and stuff, and wanted to get out of the police force. And Dad employed him there uh, for a couple of years, and we had a. Old Bill Good was our stockman for, um, he'd worked for the family for 50 years and um, he retired. And then we had a Scotsman come down for what for 12 months as our new um, stockman. But then they got homesick and um, wanted to go back to Scotland. And I remember saying to dad, what are we going to do? And he said, don't you worry about that. I know, I know a fellow that I'm going to employ straight away. And it was Bob from Leighton Cork. And Dad was managing, so he was under Dad already. So Dad asked him to come to us. And then um, the story goes on, of course, and CD, Colin Davis, then yeah. went, in, went into Leighton Court following Bob. Colin died. Yes. Yeah, so that that's how Bob came to us. Uh -huh. um, and like, that was about the time when our cattle were starting to hit the straps, of course. Yeah. Um, and um, and it was a great uh, great partnership. And, and and I was in my late teens then, left school, and um, uh, and uh, Charles and I were sort of we were and we were all working together as a great team and all got on very well together. Great job, and he'd be learning as well. But then Bob, obviously, in his later days, went freelance and uh, and talked yes. to other people. And Bob was very good to me. He used to show a few cattle for me when I first started. But I do remember him when I first met him. He was definitely still still working for yourselves. Let Let's just yes. move on a little bit. Then um, Harvey, your brother Charles emigrated to Australia in in the eighties, I believe, and uh, still there has he? Yeah, yeah. So Charles came over several times in the early eighties, um, jackarooing and. Uh, and uh, then ended up uh, being offered a job uh, with Del Geddes, the agents over here. Um, and then he had to go back home to uh, to apply formally, and, and it took about 18 months for him to get over. But uh, eventually he came to Australia, and I think officially a uh, uh, full-blown migrant in 1984. Okay. But he'd been over here off and on for about four years. Charles is two years younger than I am. Right. Uh, and then uh, I joined later in, in 1991. I, I, ca I came over in 1990 to have a look around um, and because uh, I'd built up some uh, relationships with the Dalgetty team over here 
um, that were going on world trips, and I used to look after them when they came to um, uh, came to England and Wales. Um, and then they 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 said to me that they'd like me to go over there and um, come or come over to Australia and uh, and reciprocate my, my, my sort of hospitality that I'd offered them. Um, and that's how it all started. Okay, and there were there were a, be a few around about that time. I think John Vaughan went out there in, in the eighties as well, and one or two others, didn't they, in the in the Hereford fraternity at that time? Yes, yes. John migrated um, about the same time as I did. He went to Western Australia. That's right. Um, and and I, I remember him coming over um, with a couple of bulls to Dubbo bull sale in central New South Wales. It take, took them about three three or four days to travel um, with some bulls. They came over to Dubbo. Um, and um, uh, I remember seeing him over there. Since then, then John went back to the UK, and, uh, and then he came he came over here on holiday um, um, when we were in Noosa, where we are now. And, um, and uh, did he spend Christmas with us, or, or at some stage John came over and stayed with us, didn't he? In the late nineties, that was when he John Vaughan. John was a largest life character again, and, and uh, I knew John when he came back over and was breeding Texel sheep. And then uh, more recently, yes. of course, he, along with Clive Davis, they've written the history of the breed, a, a fantastic read by all accounts. I've not got into it yet, but uh, uh, sadly died of COVID and, uh, and a great loss to us all. Yes, yes. That's, uh, many, many say that. Moving on then, uh, um, Harvey, you were an auctioneer, I think, before you went out there with Russell Borwin and Bright in, in Hereford. Would you have been selling the Hereford cattle back then? Yes, I was, uh, and I did. Um, the first sale of Hereford cattle I did actually was a joint sale um, with uh, John Vaughan, um, Derek Vaughan, and Dad um, uh -huh. had a three stud sale, and it was held at um, at John uh, John Vaughan's um, place in their barn. I was um, twenty one, um, and and I, I was still at college uh, doing the auctioneer's exams at the time, but Dad asked me to sell um, three lots for him um, in, in the middle of the sale. And that was the, the, the first official auction um, that I did, and that was selling three um, pedigree Hereford cows and calves. Baptism of fire, and obviously gave you some, some good grounding to, to stay in that, uh, in that vein. And... Uh... I remember you, you used to commentate on the Birmingham Fat Stock Show. That's sort of how I knew you. Yes, as you said, yes. you, fo you followed um, um, your brother to Australia in, in 1991, did he say? Is that right? Yeah, 91, I, um, I came over here. Uh, and I, and I, you, you mentioned about the Birmingham Fat Stock Show that was held at Stafford Showground. Um, um, I, I did the main ring commentary for the cattle. Um, for a couple of years before I came over. And uh, tell me a little bit more about your, your move to Oz then. It was obviously a big decision. And uh, did, you, did you stay involved with Hereford Cattle when, when, you, when you arrived there? Yes, well, I, I, I started off um, just working in Queensland with, uh, with Delgettis uh, at Gympie. And we were uh, just uh, purely commercial livestock then. Um, and, um, and then about uh, just after 12 months of being here, I moved to a place called Dubbo in central New South Wales to become a stud stock uh, manager down there. Um, I dealt with all breeds, um, and uh, but we had the National Pole Hereford sale at Dubbo, uh, and uh, um, that that was the, you know, I, I would go around and um, uh, and inspect and uh, and try, try and get entries into our catalogue. It was uh, Dalgetty's against Elders, and um, we used to. Um, We'd have a couple of hundred bulls there at the sale, 
and uh, and that would each vendor would um, uh, allocate whatever bulls they wanted to 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 the agent, uh, one or the other. So um, I d yeah I did uh, did a lot of work with the Herefords and Paul Herefords that we had at Dubbo, but I also um, was involved in other of the horned Hereford uh, breeds and stud sales. Uh, and in those days, the, uh, they, were, they, were, they were like two different breeds, uh, two different societies, mm -hmm. horned and polled. Yeah. But now they're together. Yeah, and the same as, as the US as well, isn't it? Uh, it took a while to get these to get these guys to to stop locking horns and, and, and lock together, but uh, it's, it makes for better, for better for everybody that they have. And uh, obviously your work uh, there, you, you've moved on. I probably missed a bit out here, but you're now uh, very much involved in, in uh, the seed stock world of Australia with uh, is it a company called GDSL Rural? Is that is that I got that right? Well, it, it, it's GDL, um, which is basically an abbreviation of Grant Daniel and Long, um, and um, uh, the uh, we're based in in southern Queensland. Um, we're basically an independent company, um, and we're competing against the uh, the larger national corporates. Of, of elders and what is now known as Nutrien. Nutrien used to be Landmark and Landmark used to be West Farmers and West Farmers used to be Dalgetty's. So, okay. so that's where I came in on the um, on the Dalgetty ticket um, and they converted to West Farmers when I left them. Um, that was back in 1996. I got, I got out of the livestock industry um, having been here for five years in it, and I got out of it completely and um, became a, a business broker. So that's selling businesses, just like a real estate agent would sell houses or farms. Um, and I was selling businesses in Noosa, where I'm sitting here now, and we had an office here for 15 years. And um, then back in 2012, the, uh, the GFC sort of hit me pretty hard, and... Um, I got back into the livestock industry as the stud stock manager for GDL. Okay, that's the story through. And, and uh, GSL, I think you trade you trade uh, slaughter cattle as well and, and property. It sounds like a fairly big outfit that I saw 65 employers nationwide. Yeah, we, yeah we've got 21, um, 21 offices, I suppose you call them offices, but they're, they're, um, um, a lot of the... A lot of our staff just uh, live in a town without an office. They run their business from um, their own home. Uh, and um, we've got administration people that look after uh, groups of uh, agents from uh, di di different areas. And then we, we do have um, major offices in um, uh, five or six different centres. Um, we sell at four major sale yards in Queensland, which is um, Roma, which is the biggest sale yard in Australia. Dolby, which is the second biggest, um, and then we've also uh, very well represented at Rockhampton um, and uh, Blackhall. Okay. And, and that's all sort of southern and central Queensland. If you added up all the numbers, which we do uh, on a regular basis annually, we actually sell more cattle than any other agency um, in, in, in Queensland out of those four centres. We, we've got the, we sell more cattle in the sale yards. And for our listener, obviously, Australia is, is a, a huge landmass and vastly diverse yes. from, from east to west to, to north and uh, all with different climates and different requirements. Do the, do the states trade with each other very much? 
Yeah, well, then we do on the Sudstock side, and uh, we've got we've got an office at Alice Springs, which is Northern Territory. That's the only one outside of Queensland, mm. um, and uh, so we're, we're represented there. But um, yeah, look, we've also got a lot of clients in um, uh, in North in the Northern Territory and, and mostly Queensland, and and a little bit in New South Wales. We've got some very large clients in New South Wales, uh-huh. um, and uh, but. We don't, we're not represented in any of the sale yards there. Okay, okay. We recently spoke and you just had a, a sale of Texas Angus. And uh, just for uh, for the records here, what uh, can you tell me what a Texas Angus is? And, and how did that sale go? It sounded like a flyer. Yeah, well, Texas is the is the herd name. Ah, right, um, okay. Like, just a prefix, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's their prefix, yes, yes. So they, they've been um, breeding cattle. They, they had the, the original importation from Scotland, I think, came over in 1935. Right. Uh, to the to the uh, main family M A Y N E and um, yeah we we've been doing their sales since um, 2014 um, and that that's in New South Wales so it's outside of our normal um, footprint um, but they uh, they were always selling a lot of cattle to Queensland their bulls and um, um, they appointed us as a, as a joint agent in their sale as the Queensland agents basically and. Um, this year, out of the 180 odd bulls that will be sold, um, over 90 went to went to Queensland buyers, mm-hmm. and uh, we had <clears throat> with the record price we're holding at the moment, uh, 225,000 is the Australian record price for an Angus bull. Right. Um, that might get beaten this year, uh, but you never know. But at the moment, we're still holding it, and uh, and also the record average uh, for a. Uh, for a sale in the Angus breed of 21,000 across the 181 bulls. Wow, that's because I'm going, and for our listeners, there's nearly $2 to the to the British pound here, I think, for our UK listeners, but that's that's some going. You're averaging over, over £10,000 across a, a sale that size. Tremendous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Just to, just to, like the, the bull sales this year have just, just exploded. Uh, last year, we sold 160 bulls at Texas, to average fourteen thousand right. this year, one hundred and eighty bulls to average twenty one thousand. Wow! Okay, it's just it's just amazing what what the prices are doing at the mm-hmm. moment, and that that's and it's all uh, backed up with with the uh, the general cattle market. Yeah. Um, you know, the the beef market has just exploded um, because we're we, you know we're, we're shorter numbers from the drought from a few years ago, mm. um, and uh, that's what's happening. Yeah. Okay, I gather that, and and uh, and I know you do uh, quite a lot of sales online as well. Which uh, would that have started with the COVID thing when people couldn't get around, or, or have you guys been doing the online sale for? for a Brother Charles actually started the um, online sales. Uh, he was the first person. Um, he he got into in cahoots with the um, American um, uh, guys uh, and brought over a system, and that was would have been back. Um, in about uh, 2012 or 13, he started online sales. We did a few horse sales and stuff uh, at that time using Charles as the um, as the online provider for bidders to bid from home on the computer. Um, and uh, and then it's just slowly developed. But it, it, the, the the COVID last year um, really accelerated the acceptability of online sales. Yeah. Uh, and um, some sales we do um, just purely online, and that there are less less sales of those. Uh, but what we've developed is to actually do a live auction, and then 
plus you've got the online bidders. Yeah. So as an auctioneer, you're taking bids off the computer mm. and you're also taking bids from the, from the audience in front of you. We, in our podcast over the last few months, we've spoken to a few guys that have gone to online sales in, in cattle and sheep. And certainly, as you said, if, if it's a live sale with an online presence, then uh, you, you're getting people from, from a long way. And some people in your country as well, it's a long way to jump in your ute and drive all the way four or five hours to wherever yeah. you are when they can do it online. Yes. And so uh, and you, you sort of develop um, ways of getting around that. There's a lot more videos now of the animals, a lot more photographs. You go back 20 years, there's hardly a photograph in the catalogue. Sure. Now, now, most catalogues have got a photograph of every animal. Uh, they've got a video of every animal that you can you can view uh, before the sale. And then and all the other data, um, breed plan data and weights and measures and scans for eye muscle and mm. um, IMF marbling and everything else that goes on. And then, um, uh, of course, we... I'm a bit of a traditional person as well. I also like to inspect them and make sure that, you know, the confirmation and feet and everything else uh, are all right, in the head, you know. Mm. And uh, so if you, you combine all that information together, you can sort out what's what. Yep. But e even if you're not there, you can you can soon see uh, what's going on, whether you want to buy them or not, and, sure. and whether you want to put somebody to go and inspect them on your behalf. Okay, and, and as you said, the quality of the video in the di digital age now, it makes all these things become a lot more accessible. Can I just go on and talk about some of these pedigree breeds? Obviously, you're, you're the other side of the world to, to where we are, although we do have a lot of listeners in Australia. But the pedigree breeds, obviously, you still have the Hereford. Uh, is that still number one in Oz, or is the Angus in front of that one just now? No, Angus is definitely the number one stud breed or ped pedigree breed for you guys. We call them stud cattle here. You, um, Angus is, is out in front. Um, you go back 30 years and they weren't. So um, uh, they were a, a minor breed 30 years ago when I came over. Mm. Uh, so they, they've made huge uh, uh, growth as far as their acceptability is concerned. Um, and that's to do with the McDonald's and, uh, and the Angus, Angus meat and, um, uh, and the ability to, uh, to, to feed and finish in the feedlots and... Um, and there's premium now for anything that's black. That was a question I was going to come on to because I think slaughter uh, cattle sales over there, you're paid on marbling in the same way that they are in the US. But So is there also a premium yes. for Angus then to turning all the cattle black? Yes, yes, there is. Yep, okay. there is a premium for anything black compared to anything red, uh, which, you know, I don't know, you shake your head about it. How can you tell when, you, when you're looking at carcasses um, what, sort of, what sort of skin colour they had? Uh, before but um anyway that's the way it is and that's what you've got to accept and uh, money talks all all languages okay but, no point questioning whether it's fair or not because as you said it, it happens and it has happened and, and how have the how have the cattle changed since you've been there that length of time have they bred the muscle out of the, the back end of them like they have in the u.s because if you paid on on the marbling are they all sort of you know more about middle middle ends and and no back end now or how have they changed in in, in us no, no, there's good cattle here. There's no doubt about it. And um, some of the best cattle I've ever seen in my life are, are here. Mm. Um, or, or the best cattle I've ever seen in my life are here, definitely. Um, so you know, confirmation. Um, frame size has come down um, from those big frame nines um, mm. back to a more moderate, uh, mo moderate frame, better carcass. Um, and uh, the quality of the carcass you get... Uh, depending on which where you want to go to but 
we have a division um, uh, in our company where we're managing cattle into the feedlots and out of the feedlots and selling for those clients. Uh-huh. And 70 days, 90 days, 120 days, long feed. Um, and, and there's all sorts of different prices for different things coming up. And if you've got a if you've got a breather you think it's going to marble well, well you'll go for that um, high the higher specs or the higher price, and mm. you'll get you'll get a premium for your marbling. Okay. And of course, we'll talk later about the wagyu side, but th- th- mm. these are the other other breeds, and um, uh-huh. uh, and so yeah, qu- the, qu- the 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 shape of the carcass um, and the, and the marbling and the fat score and everything else is very very similar to the Europe scheme. Okay. Um, that I was used to back in the UK. Okay, okay, because obviously the, we've had uh, conversations with the Americans and they're going a, almost a totally different direction to the way we are. Let's just look at uh, some of the stud stock there. You do have continentals such as limousines and scimitars and charolais. And what, yes. what role do they play as a terminal, sir? More of a minor. You asked me before about which of the um, most popular breeds. Well, Angus is way at the top. As This is as far as registrations um uh, concern for the stud cattle, pedigree cattle, Angus, and then followed by Brahman. Mm. Um, about half the registrations of uh, of, of Angus, uh, and um, and then Herefords, and then Wagyu's have now crept up to number four, and will take over Herefords fairly soon. Okay. Um, then, we'll move on to the Wagyu in, in a second, but I'm just going. Yeah. On those Continentals, I see you have stud sales for Charolais and. Uh, limousines, scimitars, etc. Yeah. And, uh, and are they, as I would term, traditional as they came out of out of Europe, or, or a lot of those turning black now as well? Well, uh, the Charolais, of course, are still white, um, and um, the uh, we've only got one or two, we've got two studs in um, in Australia that are uh, totally still bred on uh, on French pure genetics. Right. Um, the rest have been graded up through other breeds yeah um and so australian australian wagyu but you're talking like 20 or 30 generations sure um and but the charolais and simmentals would be the two most popular of the uh, continental breeds mm-hmm. um and then um, limos were good for a while but uh, but uh, but dropped off okay uh, hardly uh, we, we we might do one sale a year of limos but mm. we do um, quite, quite a few sales of very good quality Simmentals and Charolais. Okay. And for our UK listener, obviously your climate is extremely hot, and uh, especially up there in in Queensland and further north. What's your what's the average rainfall? For, what's the average temperature you get in, in the summer there and, and, and rainfall? What's your climate like? Well, it varies a lot. Uh, we're just coming out of winter now. Uh, at Dolby, we would have had about, well, I don't know, 10 or 12 frosts, I suppose, over the... Um, over the last couple of months, and so we're just now coming into what's our spring um, shortly, and it's warmed up now. Uh, but yeah, we do we do get over the four over forty degrees, um, uh, and yeah, it is hot and can be and can be very dry. Okay. Um, and go back two or three years ago, we were in a drought as well, mm-hmm. um, and and that that's what the the drought has caused an awful lot of problems with um, in agricultural gen- generally, but. Now we've we've had twelve months of uh, of good rain uh, and regular rain, and it's as good as anybody has ever known it at the moment, yeah. as far as regular rainfall and livestock prices and gen and, and money within the agricultural industry. We're back to where we want it to be, obviously, and and talking about 
you know, the heat there, the temperature, I suppose that brings me on to the Brahmin that you mentioned. And originally, again, for our, our listener, it, uh, Brahmin originated in India, I think, and uh, has been brought in a long time ago now because they can stand the heat and, and, and the, the dry weather. And uh, I know you breed some of them pure, but generally that is used as a cross so to, to breed those animals that will stand that climate. Yeah, the, the Brahmin cattle would be the largest number of cattle in the, and Brahmin and Brahmin crosses in, in Australia. Um, uh, and definitely throughout the northern part of Australia. And then you've got more of the British breeds and Euro breeds in the su- southern part of Australia. Okay, okay. And, and so, not, not just the Brahmin, but the crossbreeds have their own specific uh, um, studs themselves, don't they? Things of Brafords and Brangus and a, a Shabri, I assume that's a... That's a Charolais cross, uh, and of course the wonderful yeah. and, uh, Santa Gertrudis, which is uh, I saw those when I was over in the Melbourne show, and they're they're a huge animal. Where, where where do they originate? What's the, what's the makeup of a Santa Gertrudis? Santa Gertrudis came from uh, the United States, um, and it was developed by I, I think the King Ranch, um, and um, back in the nineteen fifties, and they're a composite breed um, that involves um, Shorthorns and um, Devons and Whatever their color is, is a really deep, rich ruby red, like the like your Devon cattle, mm. um, and um, short hair, thick, heavy muscle. I, 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 this morning before I came here today, I went to see um, an open day of a, of the Dunlop Santa Gertrude studs that are having their sale in September, and uh, I saw a we've got a hundred and ten or something bulls for sale in in September, okay. uh, and they. Just they're really good cattle, but they don't. They, they suit our environment. Mm. They wouldn't suit, you know. They, 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 they won't suit everybody's, but they're uh, you know, tick resistant um, and um, beautiful, loose skin, great bone, good heads, and uh, thick and muscly and t- and uh, um, really good cattle. I remember them being great cattle. It was. The late 80s when I was last in Australia, and it's quite surprising that some of those animals never found their way to, into, into the UK or, or back into Europe, really, because, as you say, they are really are tremendous breed, fast-growing and, and, and big. Yes. And, um, and you also have something called a drought master, which I think the way the weather patterns are changing yeah. here, we might be needing some of those in the UK at some stage. But uh, yeah. what's the makeup of a drought master? How does that fit? Well, that, whereas the Santa Gertrudis base is Shorthorn, the Droughtmaster base actually is Hereford. All right. Um, and then the, 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 the same principles from there on, but they bred the white face out of them. Okay. But they're red cattle. Um, uh, they're, they're a lighter red cattle. So you've got Santa Gertrudis as the sort of almost purple colour, and, uh, and then you've got sort of the Droughtmaster more orange, if you like. But, but you know, the... the uh, I hope people don't get offended with that, calling them orange and purple, but that gives you the definition, yeah. definition of the darker red and the lighter red. Sure. And and would there be Brahmin in the makeup of those? Yeah, absolutely. Fundamental. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, short hair, tick resistant, um, and, uh, mm. uh, and and very similar breeds, but just come from two, dip, two different base origins. And are they gaining popularity when after the drought that you've had, or is it just something that's fairly stable? Oh, look, it's a great name, Drakemaster, but it, but um, it doesn't mean to say they're going to survive any better than uh, any, any other beast without, without any feed or water. Just good uh, marketing. So <laughs> it, well, it's, it was just a name, but, um, yeah, look, the, they all will survive. They're all the good breeds. We 
I'll just give you a perspective. Uh, the Brahmin, the biggest Brahmin sale is um, in Rockhampton, uh, where all, all mostly all, all the breeders come to their national sale. Is 900 bulls sold over wow. three days. Wow. And the Drag Master National is 500 bulls sold over two days. Okay, so they're, they're up there, they're up there. Okay, and just as an aside, you don't see any Belgian blues out there, do you? I took Belgian blues when I last went in 1989 or 8, and I'd be responsible for a few of those that are there because they shut the door on Europe after these ones arrived there, and it was a hard sell back then. The bull I was trying to sell semen from could barely walk to the end of the show yard to serve a cow, and uh, um, he wasn't mine, thankfully, but are they still around? Any, any of those still on ground down there? Very rare. Mm. Very rare. Okay. I, I, I've never sold a Belgian blue over here. You hear a little bit about them, but um, no, n not practical. No, <laughs> not practical, that's about it. I'll say no more because I don't want to offend our, that's our, a polite base, our large base of listeners with the, within the Belgian blue breed. Um, moving on then, you, you mentioned briefly the Wagyu. I know when we spoke last time, you said you were getting very much involved in, in the Wagyu breed. And uh, over here... There is a specific or two or three breeders breeding them and uh, for for the the top end restaurant market, but they're not a particularly milky breed, and certainly I can't see them living in the outback out there. So what's what's your take on on the wagyu, uh, Harvey? Yeah, um, I got involved with the wagyu breed back in 2017. Um, they they've been here in Australia since 1990. That was the first importation out of Japan, and there was no. Uh, and uh, the cattle went from Japan to America, U.S., and then from the U.S. to here. There's been no further uh, export of cattle out of Japan since that time. Um, and a large number of the cattle came, well, um, a few hundred um, came here to Australia, and that's what's developed the Wagyu breed in Australia, um, which makes now, uh, as they've grown on, the numbers have grown, which makes Australia the only country in the world, basically, with some decent numbers um, to, um, uh, to sell uh, to the rest of the world. You can't get them anywhere else. Okay. Um, so they, they did a very smart thing. They got um, some of the best brains out of the Angus world. Uh, the, uh, the Breed Society... Um, CEOs and whatever and and staff to to help uh, manage the wagyu breed, and um, they've developed into some very good cattle. We we got involved uh, in 2017. It was something I'd been looking at for a couple of years and noticing uh, when I went out to a steak restaurant um, how much the wagyu were were encroaching on the fine end. Dining uh, and how many more, you know, um, the quality and pricing and everything else. Uh, and um, I was thinking, well, we need to get into this breed. And I was given the opportunity of applying to to become agent for their breed. And it was myself and uh, Landmark at the time and Elders. And um, I, I managed to win the um, uh, win the award, if you like. And uh, and we've we've helped develop the sales since then, and we do a lot of online. Um, and um, the breed has developed, and uh, I'm I'm now selling Wagyu cattle pretty much all over the world, uh, and and throughout the whole of Australia, of course. Certainly, the ones over here, a lot of them will be bred by embryo. Is is that the case with you over there? A lot of embryo, but 
Yeah, and certainly to start with, uh, and there's a lot of it going on now, but um, what we call the F1 Wagyu, that's the first cross Wagyu, and, and, and primarily that, that's on Angus. Mm. Um, they've clicked very well, those two breeds. Yeah. Um, and so you're getting um, Marvel's score four to six uh, on the carcass uh, from an F1 breed, um, and, and that's been... This whole demand for Wagyu has come from the plate, yeah. from the diner. And, and uh, rather than sort of uh, breed a product and then try and sell it, what's happened with the Wagyu is the demand is coming from the top end, the end user wanting more. It, it's a real turnaround. Mm. And um, when I, the first few cattle that I saw, they were uh, shocking looking as a, as a beef as a beef from, yeah. I used to sort of uh, turn my hat around three times and jump up and down and then go and refocus and have another look. Uh, and uh, there are some nice cattle uh, once you get to terms with what it's all about. Okay. And, and uh, when you start to study the breed and get and see, go to the studs and see what's happening, I've seen cows and bulls at 18 and 20 years of age still fit in the paddock, breeding. Okay. Uh, bulls trying to jump, um, cows, follow, you know, following them in the paddock and that sort of thing. Right. Clean-footed, uh, beautiful-skinned, uh, cows 20 years of age, no bottle tits, right. still breeding cows, still fertile and still with teeth. Now, you tell me another breed that's got that. Fair enough. That's a, that's a, sounds like a perfect advert for them uh, there, Harvey. And I remember when I was in Australia, uh, back all those years ago, a lot of your beef market went to the Far East. I mean, you used to ship a lot of your the quality beef back into Japan. Is that still going on? Very much so. There's a, there's an awful lot of beef goes to Japan. Japan is our biggest training customer yeah. um, as far as beef is concerned. And Ch China was, but of course we're having battles with China now. Um, and that's you know that's a bit unfair. Um, what they're how they're treating us, but they're they're knocking us on the beef, they're knocking us on the wine, um, they're knocking us everywhere they can. But they're still taking our our, our iron ore because they they can't get that from anywhere else. Um, so we're having a real battle with uh, with China at the moment. So uh, we're trying to develop more markets throughout throughout the world um, and trying not to become so uh, reliant on China. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I think that's going to be problems there. That applies economically to, to all the nations. I think China, as they're growing, of course, they're starting to produce, uh, become self-sufficient in, in most things. And that's a political route we don't want to go down. That's right. And going back to the slaughter cattle, are we looking at the, the finished cattle? Are they a lot of them finished in large feedlots sort of further in the south, in the cooler, cooler parts? Or, or is there still a lot of grass-fed beef being turned out of Australia? Yeah, the majority of beef comes out of the feedlots because that's where you get the consistency. Okay. Because there is inconsistency with regard to uh, grazing um, grass-fed products throughout Australia because of, because of the climate problems. So um, there's more cattle on, on feed now than, um, than there's ever been. Uh, and, and that's what provides uh, yeah, the regular numbers and everything else that people rely on. We ourselves sell uh, for clients... Uh, a thousand cattle a week um, to processors out of feedlots. So are the feedlots uh, regionalized in certain areas, like in the US, they're mainly in sort of Nebraska area there. Are they the same with yourselves or are they spread all across uh, Australia? 
Yeah, where I'm based in Dolby, um, there, there'd be more cattle on feed within a couple of hundred kilometres of Dolby than there would be anywhere else in Australia, okay. because that, that's where the grain is grown. Okay. Um, so, and then you know the, the, the chicken farms and pork farms and whatever else. So that that that's because the grain is there. And we're talking big feedlots here. What sort of numbers? Tens of thousands. Yeah. And uh, I've got to mention sheep. Uh, you guys have got more sheep than people, I think, in, in Australia. Do you trade those things as well? Well, we've probably got about the same number of cattle as people. There's about tw- there's 20, what are we, 21 million here people. Mm. Um, as far as cattle, used to be 25 million before the drought. Now we're back to about 21. So about equal people. And then I think you'll find that there's about 100 million sheep. Mm. So there's a lot more. There's far more sheep here than people. And, and as I said, do you trade those? Do you trade the stock of sheep? No, we don't because our 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 footprint is primarily from um, um, cattle, uh, a cattle area rather than sheep area. Okay. The, the, the bigger numbers are cheaper in the southern part of Australia. So you're talking about southern New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, and southern part of western australia okay. and we don't have any um uh, our particular company doesn't have any um uh, offices in those areas we, we do sell a few uh, but it's very much um, a smaller part of our business okay i was i was hoping you'd say yes because uh, i've just got into a few rylands which of course come from your home territory back in in herefordshire and uh, I know yeah well they were the herefordshire breed i remember we used to do those in hereford market yeah they got some damn good rylands in australia i hope you might find me a few but uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I, when I went to Dubbo, I did, used to do the what they used to call the meat sheep breeds, stud breeds. They wouldn't let me do the merinos because mm. I had no um, uh, no experience there. But um, uh, the, you know, the um, white Suffolks, as opposed to the blackface Suffolks, okay. um, they like the whites. They, they bred the white into them because of the wool. Uh-huh. They didn't want the black in the wool, um, and. Um, uh, and they, look, they, there's a lot of good breeds uh, of sheep now, um, and uh, I, I actually did the first Texel sale in Australia. Okay, uh, that was in the early nineties. Damn, this isn't really a, a sheep podcast. We're going slightly off, off the track here, Harvey. And I've probably had enough of your time, to be honest. And uh, I really appreciated that. And, and uh, it, I know it's gin and tonic time for you now. There, six or seven o'clock in the, in the evening, and. Uh, and I need to get away from my breakfast. So uh, really appreciated you taking the time to talk to me, and that's fantastic to talk to your mum there, and uh, really pleased uh, with that one, um, Harvey. Yeah, well, thank you very much. um... Thank you very much. (laughs) Lovely to speak to you, uh, Jane. And, Harvey, my wife and I are saving up money to... uh, to go on the next British Lions tour, not to play, I hasten to add, but to go and support on the next British yeah. Lions tour, which, of course, is in Australia in 2025. So we might just... Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You're not going to come to the Ashes this year for the cricket? <laughs> no, I don't do cricket. Rugby's my game. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I'll be there with you. OK. Good luck. Great to speak to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Andy. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.